You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, November 30th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. We are reviewing Notre Dame's 31-17 victory at North Carolina, looking ahead. Now, nah, we'll probably won't look ahead to Syracuse until Thursday, but, uh, <laughs> we can but <laughs> you know, a, a basketball game. <laughs> yeah, a different, you know, a, a much different game than I think a lot of us anticipate, especially after it was 14 to 14 at the end of the first quarter, but both teams settled in. Give North Carolina credit for doing a really good job defensively, but Notre Dame's defense, un- unbelievable, shutting, throwing, th- allowing zero points over the last 48 minutes is just an unbelievable performance. Another Clark Lee led performance by the defense. And then when the offense had to, to, uh, to get it together, a 97 and 89 yard touchdown drive to put it away. I was super impressed by the defensive line because I think that, you know, Notre Dame playing at a slower tempo to sort of like play defense by playing offense. I thought that would probably happen. I didn't think North Carolina was going to run the ball very well. They, it was even worse than I thought, but I just thought the way the defensive line dominated North Carolina's offensive line made them look just absolutely hapless. Um, That was, that was probably the most impressive positional performance that I saw on Saturday. And that was, that was, excuse me, Tim, but that was with about 10 holding calls that, that weren't called against North Carolina. My God, they were tackling Notre Dame's defensive line. I mean, it's shocking to think that what we talked about in the (laughs) pregame podcast was that I thought Notre Dame would win because this would be the most physical team Carolina had played and eventually they would feel it. I didn't think they would eventually feel it to the tune of 14 points after scoring two touchdowns to start the game. I mean, if you look at their, their large gains, so even 10 yard gains, these are 10 yard gains for North Carolina's offense. First quarter, one, two, three, four, five, including 51 and 26. Second quarter, one, two, three, four, including two in the twenties. Third quarter, one, two, nothing over 16. And the fourth quarter, one for 11 yards. When you're behind, having to pass, and they couldn't do it without Kyle Hamilton on the field. It's incredible. It's the best coach three-quarters of defense. I can remember when you see 31-17, that'll never go down as the greatest defensive performance in Notre Dame history in Irish annals when you look at a media guide. Was it not for three-quarters? No, it was. Uh, uh, North Carolina went into the game with 181 plays of 10 yards or more, which is, I assume, why you're mentioning that. Yeah. Leading the nation – in that category, by I think by about fifteen, <laughs> by about fifteen plays of ten yards or more, and it looked like it for a little while. <laughs> yeah, three in the second half. That's that's incredible. I agree with you, Pete, about the defensive line play. The linebacker play was stellar, uh, led by Drew White, but Maris Leofau was outstanding. And Tim, we talked about it in our uh, uh, instant analysis day after Brian Kelly that uh, well, we have a new favorite at at, at Buck linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't, but in Maris Leofau, but it doesn't matter because they rotate them and they use them effectively. They use them to match the personnel in the approach of the opponent and they get productivity out of it. I feel like for the first time, we can just go ahead and say, let's let that coach make the choice on the buck. And he's definitely going to be smarter than us all these years together. Clark Lee wins. He chooses the buck. I have no say in the matter. If it's Shane Simon, it's Shane Simon, he chose the right guy. He's not, he's not messing up. Who would have thought that uh, we'd be sitting here on November 30th and like buck linebacker play whoever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and it also, also totally fine. If you don't give Jordan Johnson any reps, like we're not even going to ask about it. Don't need them. Don't need them. Yeah. Pete, Pete, you, Pete, you tweeted out pregame something about either log or Corral or whatever. And your first response was, is Jordan Johnson dressed? And I don't I didn't think, even look. I, I, don't I did not think, even think about I don't, it. I don't think he was kidding either. I don't think he was kidding. I which saw him because I was looking. Because I was looking. He was there? I knew somebody would ask. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> checking on that. <laughs> well, that'll come, that'll come up later in the week as Nordin prepares yes. for, for Syracuse. But, I, you know, I want to make a comment. I've probably written it 300 times by now, but. The and I, I've seen a million Notre Dame teams and and a lot of great Notre Dame teams in my life, but the resilience of this football team and it, I mean that's that was initiated and started by Brian Kelly a few years ago. But the resilience of this team in difficult times is is absolutely amazing. They they are unflappable. They move on to the next play. 
it's an incredible trait to have. And I think it's a large reason why they're nine and oh sitting number two in the country. I, I think I would like amend that a little bit. Cause like, I think that they're, I don't know if they move on to the next play as much as like they make you flappable. Like this team talks a lot of crap um, oh, and yeah. it suits them well. Like, I mean, I think we've all covered Notre Dame teams where they would talk about swagger on a Tuesday during a press conference, but then Saturday would come around and be like, all right, you guys just lost to Connecticut. Like what's the, what's the <laughs> swagger? Like this, this team really sort of like kicks your ass and lets you know about it. Um, and that, that just seems to be like their natural personality. There's no front about it. There's no, there's no pretense. Like this team is just mean. Um, and they, they beat people up. They have a solid, and I use this, I, this has always been a compliment for me and you know that it's just a nicer way of saying a word I can't say on our airways. They have a solid, if you just look at that list of people that I could go down the line, they got a good solid 15 jerks on the field. When you yep. <laughs> it's just, it, it's what you want to see between the lines. Um, it's goes all over the place. There's offensive linemen, there's linebackers, there's a, there's a 24 year old safety who can't stop getting into it, into it with people. and it's, it's working out in his favor all of a sudden. I mean, Kyle Hamilton has this in him. We all know it. Houston Griffith within five plays was out there talking trash. Like it is, has permeated the group. It's fun to watch. Fans love it. Um, before we get off this, they stopped every third down without Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, Eight in a row. Eight Kelly, in a row, including fourth down. I thought Brian Kelly made a really good point, though. That that began up front. Of course, I really, but it's still amazing that, that no, the ball I, didn't no. get through. <laughs> No, there's, there's no doubt. And I still, I still have to have doubts about exactly how well that last rung of the defense played because largely because of what happened up front. Sure. You know sure. But it, it's all counts to type. No, it, you know, it, it, it's it one of those. I thought was, DJ Brown played really well. I, I'm not sure that I still saw any real plays or significant progress from Houston Griffith but, but maybe his confidence can be there now because well, he just had such a good half against a no doubt and, yeah. and to get to get back to Pete's original point Nick McLeod was ready to talk some stuff yes yeah he's high on my list of uh <laughs> crap talkers <laughs> the former NC State cornerback playing against North Carolina I mean he just had he had a look on his face after he made a play like just keep bringing it because I'm going to be here all day and we know how Crawford is I mean, I, who else is vocal? I, I, you know, I think Drew White. Drew White well, is very bumper. much. He's a yes, fist bumper yes. anyway. He says some stuff. Well, Kurt Heinish, we know. Heinish. I would imagine Heinish is too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, you're, you're right, and it's a, you know, the, uh, the I way mean, Kyle Hamilton says something every time he makes a play. It's fantastic. Kyle he makes a lot was of plays. Talking trash in the second half after he had been ejected. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can see it on the replay. I, it was number two. Um, I'm blanking on the receiver's name. Like somehow he got caught in a scrum, like by the Notre Dame sideline, and Hamilton like comes out of the field and is like right. screaming at him. Yeah, well, Deami Brown and, and McLeod were going at it right yeah. from the very beginning. And then when you said number two, I had th I thought, oh, I get a chance to bring up my boy, my guy uh, Don Chapman, who got no, he was not talking back any crap. Back. No, no, uh, their, their safety play was as bad as we thought it was, uh, and Notre Dame didn't take complete full advantage of it. But yeah, I, you know, I mean, just getting back to my original point about the resilience, I, I just think that that has, has, uh, has been created, has happened. Um, we will talk more about these topics as we move into segment two, but I do want to, before we finish segment one, I do want to bring up the fact that, um, you know, people always like to say, can't we just have good things? Well, Vanderbilt uh, has fired their head coach, Derek Mason. And now there's a lot of speculation, uh, naturally, because Clark Lee yeah. played football at, uh, at Vanderbilt, and it's near and dear to him. There are some other – Pete, I think you feel pretty strongly that he is one of the lead candidates. Would that be accurate? But there is yes. a lot of talk. Uh, uh, Jamie Chadwell, the, the head coach at Coastal Carolina, is doing a really great job. They're 9-0, and they are very difficult to beat. I keep an eye on them. I don't know a lot about their personnel, but – they've been very difficult to beat since he's gotten there and he has some head coaching experience, but where do you think, what, what leads you to believe or, or where, where are you guys thinking in terms of Clark Lee and what happens with Vanderbilt? I guess, uh, I mean, I don't know if they will offer him. I just, I feel, um, 
somewhat confident that he will take it if accepted. I, d- I don't, I think there's a, a thread among Notre Dame fans that are like, well, that's a dead end job and you can't win there. I don't, I don't think Clark Lee sees it that way. Um, talking to him about his Vanderbilt experience, which was somewhat comparable to the Vanderbilt experience current Vanderbilt players are having. He loved it. Um, he felt like they, it was, a, you know, a, such a formative part of his life and a ton of respect for Bobby Johnson, who was the head coach there. Um, and I also think, look, it's a really hard place to win. They gave Derek Mason seven years. Um, it's not a place that they're going to chase you out the door if it's not going very well. Especially early on. one of their, especially exactly. One of their um, so it's like, if you're giving Derek Mason seven years, I mean, I don't know, could, could you go down there for 10 years and have like <laughs> two winning seasons and people are like, great job. If you went there, probably so. So I would, um, I don't know. I just, I, my gut, my gut is if the Vanderbilt offered Clark Lee would accept. And the question is more about will Vanderbilt offer. And, and James Franklin, for the record, he went nine and nine and four in 2012 and nine and four in 2013. Now that's quite a while ago. So, you know, I mean, maybe I don't know the composition of the roster exactly what their talent level is but they're in the sec they had a they remember they had a decent roster three years ago though i mean they not we shouldn't yeah. say roster because they, they had, had players they had, they had pieces for sure no doubt the yeah they i mean had it at wide receiver they had it at D. tight end they had it at tight end they had it at running back they had it at quarterback um i think that another way of looking at it if you're a notre dame fan now is clark lee could also rebuild that program in a year four go eight and five and consider coming to Notre Dame after a seven and six and eight and five season. If you're taking one win Vanderbilt to five wins to six wins to seven wins to nine wins or something along those lines, it's, I mean, he's not going to win a national championship there at some point. He's going to tap on what he's done for his alma mater probably too. Right. Yeah. There there's also the thinking, you know, do, do you go to an offensive coach after having a defensive coach, you know, Tony Elliott from Clemson sitting out there too. You I know, think so. he's a fine hire. I would recommend him to the Vanderbilt people immediately. There is. And, yet, and yet, I mean, I don't know how, I, I don't know exactly how you guys feel about Clark Lee being the head coach at Notre Dame someday. I, I, I yes, I like yeah, it. Oh, yeah, I, I like it. it. I like it yeah, too. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people say, well, they don't know how he'd, he'd recruit. I think Clark Lee is not only one of the most impressive defensive coordinators I've ever met. He's one of the most impressive human beings I've ever met. And, and, you know, I just recently did an interview with Jack Swarbrick and I asked a question. The first three words of the entire interview were culture, culture, culture. Well, he's saying culture, 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 because Clark Lee is a significant part of the culture that's been created at Notre Dame. And so, you know, if you want, look, we, Notre Dame fans, I get it. You want it all. You want Clark Lee to stay there and, but still have enough head coaching experience or, or enough wherewithal to be a head coach in Notre Dame and then step right in and do do great great things for your your program. But he may, if you want to be head coach, he's probably going to have to leave and then come back to Notre Dame if that's in the in the cards. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com segment two burning up the boards we start with a question from nd hennigan fan should notre dame just covid its way into the playoffs just cancel the rest of the games including the acc championship and we're in playing only hurts us especially when some teams play half the games tim and if they don't play how can jordan johnson further develop where this guy to play you know Brian Kelly is all in on we have already played a football season or a COVID football season at, at nine and oh, it's about to be 10 and oh. And the ludicrous thought of not wanting to play football after having football taken away from you in the spring and summer is apparently lost on some fans still. You imagine asking Notre Dame not to play a game just because they don't, they think they should just not play a game to back into something right now. Don't you love everything about how Notre Dame plays the game? <laughs> I mean, I get if you have terrible COVID issues and you're one and nine, as Pete, we have talked about, if Syracuse has a COVID outbreak and they're wondering, should we go play? They could probably say, I don't think we should go play. I get that. But that's a totally different story. I mean, 
you imagine this Notre Dame team being told us we're not going to play a game? <laughs> this question has to be asked, being asked facetiously, right? I don't know. I don't know. I, I've I, seen I, it I, other. I've seen it other places, so I assume it's not. If it's if it is a real question, then I I deserve our response. Uh, but he could be facetious. I suppose. Notre Dame's players' reaction to Deami Brown on Friday. It'd be it'd probably a similar reaction to Hennigig fan. Well, what would the playoff committee's reaction be? You're just going. You're going to quit the rest of the season until it's time for us to vote you into the playoffs. Imagine you're, being told in July you're a Notre Dame player and you're going to play 11 games and get to play Clemson for the ACC championship. Not being told your record. How excited would you be that you're 11? Just how many you play? You have to play a full season. Then we don't. Then we're not sure. Then we're going to shut it down. Okay, let's go play the full season anyway. Let's go. They would okay, have signed so. up for four games. Yeah. I mean, Notre, Notre Dame is getting better as the season goes on. Uh, if you pulled the plug on the season, that improvement would cease. Yeah. So the question, had to be, the question had to be asked facetiously. So we move on to Packy P. Does Clark Lee leave? Would Mike Elston be the replacement? And would the grad assistant linebacker coach, whose name is Nick, uh, Nick Lazinski, would he be promoted? I, I think if Mike Elston was your DC, Nick Lazinski would be your linebackers coach. I'm just not sure that Mike Elston would be the next defensive coordinator. You don't think he might go with Clark Lee? Uh, who? who? Lazinski or Elston? Yeah. No, Lazinski. No, Lazinski would for sure. Yeah. Um, well, but, you were just saying if Mike Elston. Yeah, which I, which then I would say you would let him go. Um, like, I mean, if the choice is um, keep Elston where he is, and hire Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati as your next DC, mm-hmm. uh, or promote Elston and keep Lazinski. I would hire Marcus Freeman, let Lazinski go, and then keep Elston where he is. I think that, to me, that would be that might probably be my number one choice if I was Notre Dame. Is is Elston resigned to the? Then that would have to mean that Elston's resigned to the fact that he's not ever going to be named the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Probably so. Um, you know he. he He's had, I think he interviewed for Central Michigan last year or two years ago. Um, there's, there's nothing that says he can't go be a head coach. I mean, I think his goal is to be a head coach, not to be a coordinator necessarily. Yeah. So if you'd skip the coordinator step by being the assistant head coach uh, at Notre Dame, I think that you would try to do that. Tim? Uh, I'm just trying to think of a different way that, I feel like this third time, it might be a little harder on Elston. Like I'm not this, saying it'd be easy. Yeah. After the 16 season. Um, I mean, I, I get it. You know, you, you, they needed some, they weren't trying to change out Mike Elston, but they needed some systemic change in the, in the program when you go with Elko. And then just the fact that Elko had Lee as a protege and he was obviously such a great candidate. I mean, Nobody was arguing for, not many people were arguing for Elston over Lee at that point. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like another time might be rough, although, as Tim has pointed out in the past, he's a heck of a good soldier for Brian Kelly. And uh, there's a lot to be said for coaching at the highest level of the sport and churning out pro after pro after pro over these last few years that I'm sure he really enjoys. And you, make a, good, you make a good point, t- Pete, that assistant head coach and associate head coach or whatever at Notre Dame is kind of skipping a coordinator level when you want to become a coach of your own program anyway. I mean, he said, I mean, he's doing an awesome Elston. I'm talking about his awesome yes. job at Notre Dame. He's really yeah. elevated himself to one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Um, you know, could, could he be a good coordinator? Maybe, probably. I don't, I'm, I'm not really just, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You just don't know. It's one thing to be a great position coach, mm-hmm. but to be a great coordinator, it, your responsibilities are completely different. I mean, it's a play to play decision on how 11 should play as opposed to three or four. Well, yeah. Kelly would know though, cause he's done it. I mean, he has a two month, he has a two month resume of calling defensive plays for Brian Kelly. Greg, well, Hudson, didn't, Greg Hudson did not call any defensive plays right, for Brian but, Kelly but, for people listening, but I know but I'm just saying about, you, he has some knowledge. Brian Kelly has some knowledge of what absolutely, was going on there. But the, that approach was so basic and so oh, sure, sure. keep the football in front of us. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, you're not, you're not going to have a coordinator like that in 20, in in 2020 no and in fairness to elston he had to do that they they were just no no doubt it was the right it was the right thing to do at the time but if you're if you're going to if you're going to compete for national titles moving forward you can't take that approach so i don't really know i know what you're saying but i don't really know what that little interim situation uh revealed per se 
I would say this, but to put a bow on it, I love Pete's idea, assuming Mike Elston is cool with it, because I wouldn't want to lose Mike Elston either. No, absolutely <laughs> yeah, not. That, that, yeah. And I, but, and I am, I mean, I'm fascinated by Nick Lazinski being a, yeah. a, a full-time assistant at Notre Dame at some point, because I think from what we can tell, I, I, I think he's perfectly capable of doing that yeah, and doing it well. Yeah. The, the players have, for, year, for several years now, have talked about him like he is a full-time assistant coach. B.L. Casper, and don't we want Clark Lee to go out and get some head coaching experience? If he might end up being a future head coach in Notre Dame, why not learn, grow, and be a stronger candidate by leaving? Plus, Brian Kelly has only gotten better throughout his time in Notre Dame. Let's not push him out yet. I mean, I would scrap the second part of that question. No one, I don't think I was pushing Brian Kelly out. Um, I, no, I, I guess it depends if you think that Clark Lee – uh, needs head coaching experience or not. If you think that he does, then he needs to leave. If you don't think that he does, then he can stay and be promoted four years, three years down the road. But that's that's really a, an opinion for Jack Swarbrick to, to suss out. Um, and I, I don't know where he stands on that. I guess I know he knows the culture brother Brian Kelly. We talked about this, but I think that Notre Dame head coaching job is a hard one if you've never done it. But I want a, I want an assurance he's coming back too. I hate when he signs his Vanderbilt contract, he needs to sign another one at Notre Dame that'll be back in four years. It's the first ever of its kind, Pete. He just <laughs> signs on it. <laughs> head, coach, I, head coach and waiting if I take Vanderbilt to a bowl game. I feel fairly confident that that he I mean he would come back to Notre Dame. I, you, I do too. You know, I mean Jack Swar, of course, if he was off, he would. But uh, you know, Jack Swarbrick saying culture, culture, culture. Well, I'm sure Clark Lee looks in Notre Dame and says, culture, culture, culture. It fits him perfectly. And I understand some people that question whether, you know, he has the, the personality to, from a recruiting standpoint with a head coach. But, look, we've all dealt with Clark Lee. Again, I'll say it again. He's one of the most impressive human beings I've ever known. Um, so, you know, whether he's, whether he's as inspirational and, and fiery on the, the recruiting trail or not, I still think. I think he's a I think he's a brilliant football coach. I think he's oh, going to be too. a very good head coach. Irish John M. Fact or merely perception? The Notre Dame offense under Reese appears to be much more creative and imaginative, and less predictable than it was under Long. For example, I can't imagine calling a jet sweep to his six foot three, two hundred twenty pound wide receiver in the red zone in a tie game. But maybe that is just my view or bias. Well, I couldn't imagine Chip Long calling a quarterback draw, a quarterback run on third and eight with no timeouts left. Oh in the red yeah. zone against Virginia Tech, and it, it worked for a touchdown last year. Uh, how about the call to Lindsay against USC that USC had no idea was coming? So, I mean, I think Chip Long was creative. I think Tommy Reese is more creative and uses more personnel and more groupings and more alignments. I think Tommy Reese is, is in the process of becoming an absolutely outstanding offensive coordinator. I agree with everything you just said. I just, I think that the variety, the variety that Reese has in his playbook, I think is greater than long. Um, I thought long was a really good play caller, but Reese just does it differently. Um, I think both, both of them, we would come away from games, you know, at least once a game, you're like, ah, oh, great call. Like where you just like, yes, you just completely out X and O the other guy. Ship um, against Stanford, Pete. You've pointed that out in the past. Uh, that Ali say yeah, Max throwback screen. I mean, geez. Um, yeah, they're. I think they're. Reese is. Reese just has more. I think, and you know, there's there's a play that Long ran. Um, it was like a screen to Tony Jones on that's third down at Syracuse. That's actually a Reese play that he brought from <laughs> his time with the Chargers. Um, I don't know if that rings a bell for you guys, but yeah, no, it's the plays where you're just like, oh god, I love that play. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually something that Reese brought too long. Um, so just a, another bit. I thought, I thought you were going to refer to the swing pass to Tony Jones at the end of the USC game in 2018, yeah. also which was the absolute one. perfect call against the defense that USC was in. I want to piggyback off that, Tim, because you say perfect call, and, and Pete, you asked the question about Skoranek's touchdown that is referred to in that question. You know, it worked, and it looked good when it worked. You know who actually had the innovation to make that exact call on the end around to wide receiver who's never carried a ball in a college game before? Mike Dembrock, when Chris Brown fumbled and they lost the game to Northwestern, and nobody talks about how innovative <laughs> that play call was because he fumbled it. Yeah, well, Chris Brown wasn't 6'3", 220 either. <laughs> but uh, from my perspective, I don't know what you guys uh, – or uh, Pete, you were there, but 
I don't know what your perspective was, Tim, but when I saw how they lined up and Kyron Williams was eight yards deep, eight yards deep, I was sure they were giving the football to him. Yeah, and as soon as he got it, you could see it was going to work too. It wasn't. It was not <laughs> as. It, it is only crazy if you say it. Like when you watched, you were like, "Oh, there you go." But like when Pete, you were just say a handoff to Ben Skoranek on a on a jet sweeper on an yeah. end around it, it. That just sounds funny, but it did look good. Though. I mean, it was well designed. Yeah, but there was it. but there were falling dominoes from blocks from <laughs> yeah, first Brock Wright, then yeah. Michael Mayer, then Tommy Tremble. Let's point out one more thing in the Chip Long Tommy Reese debate, and I don't mean to take up for long. I just I'm using real world examples here. Falling dominoes all season long makes your play calling easier too. Yeah. Nordheim's offensive line is great. It's like 2017's offensive line. So if not deeper, I mean, it's it's better, it's better, better across the board. It's more consistent than the 2017 offensive line was a sports guy asks or no comments. There has been talk on this podcast about the regression of quarterbacks and book under Kelly. Uh, and rightfully so. What has changed with Ian Book? Has it just clicked for him and his experience, or could it be Tommy Reese? Hmm. I mean, I, it's Reese has been with him for the last three years, so I'm not. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of, I think Reese has definitely been a big part of Book's success, both early and late for him. Um, I I think it. I was going to point to one thing that's gotten Book over the line here it's like McKinley and Skoranek have and Dave, Avery Davis have really come on because book is like kind of forced that to happen um you know now that they have some chemistry there you're seeing like he's got the whole field to work with I, I mean I think Brad Kelly tried to tell us that Pete he's like you know you're, yeah. you guys are putting too much on Ian Book right now he didn't have spring with them he barely he didn't have Skoranek in camp we know that now he didn't have Skoranek at the beginning of the year Javon McKinley was a work in progress too. I mean, is mm-hmm. he's talented and he's got some great moments, but he, I mean, he had a terrible game in September. Javon McKinley, think about that. That's impossible to think now, along with the inbook against Louisville. He had a terrible game after his best game, Javon McKinley. It's just a weird dynamic that a fifth year guy has this career. It, it's he, he didn't take off as the year started. You know, he's, he's a guy that Notre Dame fans should love for his late career bloom too, but to be fair, like the, the regression is just weird. I don't know how, like Tim and I ranked book. I ranked him two. Tim ranked him one to start the year. We expected Ian book to have a great year. It took five games. That's strange. I mean, I thought Ian book, obviously the receivers had something to do with it. His ability to gel with the wide receivers was compromised. And now that he's gelled with them, it's three great games in a row and four out of five. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the flip side of what you said, Pete, you know, book help those receivers develop too but it's as i always say it, it's oh yeah i think that's a, i yeah. think that's the the big part is book right. driving that development yeah and it's a it's a multitude of things and clearly reese and it's still it's kelly's team and that's kelly's quarterback and but to me if you ask me the one thing or to pick the first thing in it all it's it's ian book i mean it's ian book sure. just finally coming to the, the realization that he can do this. He can see this. He can make these throws. He can do everything that he's done the last three games. Why did it take 29 starts before this Ian book emerged? I, I, you know, I mean, I, I just having been around a lot of athletes, coached them and, and all the Notre Dame athletes, I, I think it starts first and foremost with Ian book. Just it's Ian book. It's just coming to the realization. And you know what? I'm pretty damn good at this and I'm going to excel now and I'm not going to let anything prevent me from fully maximizing my ability. Irish eye was tailgating. How does redshirt freshman Zeke Carell compare so far with the freshman version? It was actually the redshirt freshman version of Jarrett Patterson. What do you expect we'll see from him in 2021? Probably both those guys. It's an interesting question. I, I don't know exactly how technically sound Zeke Carell was. We'd have to talk to specifically you know, Jeff Quinn and Brian Kelly about that. But I thought he was more aggressive than, than Jarrett Patterson was a lot of times last year in his, you know, in his first opportunity to start. I thought, I thought Patterson always did a great job of sealing things off. Yeah, he was a screen, wasn't, screen man. Right, right. But wasn't <laughs> yeah. always proactive and attacking. And that's the hardest thing for an offensive lineman, all the things that are going through your head, especially if you're the center. Um, but I thought he was very aggressive and very proactive. Uh, it looked to me like he was uh, technically sound and assignment sound. 
Uh, again, the coaches would be able to answer that a whole heck of a lot better, but uh, I thought he did a really nice job. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was solid. Um, you know, the second level block on Tyree's 16 yard run in the really nice second quarter. Yeah, um, really nice. Yeah. It was really good. Um, and I think it's, look, this is probably, that's probably the worst. That's the worst of Zeke Corral long term. Played with yeah. a sprained ankle, no experience. I mean, it's only, it's only up from there. And if that's, if that's the seat, if that's the floor for Zeke Corral, I think it's going to be excellent long term. And I know people inside that building, I think I said this on the podcast last week, were like not concerned at all. Um, that message apparently got through to Herb Street because he mentioned it too. Um, that the staff was just like, no, we're good. No concerns here. Um, I think that was that was pretty much validated. And this could this could be huge for you know, I mean, they brought Jared Patterson in as a left tackle. They loved him a left tackle. Uh, I think it would be the best use of personnel uh, moving forward next year. That you know, Zeke Carell, depending upon how quickly he can overcome this left ankle, high ankle sprain, um, you know, gives you some flexibility with Patterson as you lose your two your two tackles. Um, you know, following this season, so. Future's bright. You play like that as a as a first time starter in a game of that magnitude. That's that's pretty impressive. That says a lot about Zeke Corral. And Tim, we got to give go back to what we said at the beginning and haven't talked about. Give credit to North Carolina how they played. They threw a lot at Zeke Corral and he handled most of it. Yeah, I mean, he had two bad snaps. He bounced back from both. He had an ankle. He did was struggling to play on for an entire half. North Carolina's bringing stuff he's they've never seen before. He's never seen before. I mean. That's that's just a hard first start, and the concern is I'd, I'd like to see him make a second start. It's it's going to be tough, but you, you want to get him four games in or three games into Clemson, right? That is probably what this comes down to now is let's get some snaps for Zeke Carell before right. the Clemson game. Right. We'll follow up with Donnelly 3-4-3-4 with Lug and Carell having some issues. Will we maybe see Colin Grunhardt or Dylan Gibbons? Hopefully we'll see Grunhardt in the second half. Plenty of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly we'll see him against Syracuse. Yeah. Maybe in the I mean, first. I don't quarter, know. I don't know what the. Quarter. I don't know what maybe issues both. are being referred to here. Lug was. I mean, if I, I thought back, at times, yeah, issue. Lug Lug yeah. looked stiff at, at times, yeah. and it, because he was, because he had some lower back issues that he was dealing with. So, I mean, the assumption here that Lug and Corral didn't play well, I, I'm just. Not I think it's board. the injuries, isn't it? They were saying. Did I read that question wrong? Having some issues just means injuries. I think they do have oh. issues. Corral and Lug have issues. Okay, well yeah. then, uh, if I misinterpreted you, Donnelly, I apologize for that. But I, I, I mean, I thought they played well. Yeah, I guess maybe if they're if they're both banged up and compromised, I, I think we are going to see Dylan Gibbons this week at right guard. Uh, Colin Grunhard would be next man in, I guess, if they don't put yeah. Lug at Lug at center. So we'll see. But I think there's a good chance that we'll see uh, certainly three of those four guys, and, and probably Grunhard and Grunhard. Grunhardt would come in and do just fine against Syracuse. Right. I have no doubt about that either. Wreckers 33 hot. There's been a lot of talk about the collaboration between Reese and Lee. What exactly does that look like? How do joint game plans work when talking about different sides of the football? Yeah, well, uh, Samson's the one that initiated all this talk. If there's any talk about the collaboration between the two coordinators, it was initiated by Samson who wrote the story. So, Pete, go ahead. Um, yeah, it was a story that I wrote before the Clemson week because I was sort of fascinated about how those two guys work together. And it was, it was a story I actually wanted to do last year, um, but in the headline was going to be why Chip Long yells and why Clark Lee doesn't because I thought like, I mean, that worked pretty well together too, even though they're just totally different animals. Um, but the, uh, the collaboration with Lee and um, Reese, I mean, it, I mean, it goes back to when Reese was in high school and Clark Lee considered Bill Reese uh, a mentor of his while he was coaching at UCLA. Um, so that, that relationship goes a long, long way back. But at Notre Dame, uh, Lee put together something called the Breakfast Club. It was like summer camp season of 2019 when the world was normal and you could hang out in your office with other people. But they would at six in the morning, they would get together and watch defensive tape and they started Clark started inviting Reese when he was the quarterbacks coach to come sit in on the meetings and essentially explain, okay, when you're in the, well, you guys think this is a good defensive call. Here's what I see as a quarterback, or you guys are maybe are lukewarm on this call as a quarterback. This is what really would stress me out. Um, and so I think they just play really well off one another. Um, Clark considers Bill Reese a mentor. Tommy Reese considers Clark a mentor. Um, and so I, I don't think, 
neither of them are really big ego guys. Um, and so I think playing off one another works is a natural state of affairs for them. And then, then you see it on Saturday. I mean, I thought one of the best parts of Notre Dame's defense is that Tommy Reese helped Clarkley play it. Um, they won time of possession in every quarter and one time of possession in the game by 10 minutes. So that's, that's what complimentary football looks like. Um, and I think when you have two very like-minded personalities, you're, you're able to do stuff like that. Good stuff. And you mentioned ahead, complimentary, complimentary football. That's what everybody wants, right? I mean, that last yeah. part's a lot easier said than done, but Notre Dame has the ability to do it because they can control the line of scrimmage and run the ball. If Tommy, if Clark Lee needed someone to control the line of scrimmage and run the ball and they had the 2014 offensive line and the coordinator that wanted to throw the ball around, they wouldn't be able to do it. So it is part of his having the horses. And I think they identified what they had this year way before the start of the season and have built on it all the way through. That's the best thing to watch. Uh, one more point. I, when I was reporting out that story, I, I was able to talk to Bill Reese about it for a minute. And um, since he's been on so many staffs, I asked him like, you know, is this, is this a big enough deal that you, when you don't have it, you've seen it ruin seasons. Uh, and he's like, Absolutely. I've been on staffs where the two corners don't like each other. The offensive corner is trying to get something done. The defense corner takes the quarterback to the ground and you're screwed all of a sudden because one guy was trying to get a head coaching job and the other one is just trying to install his plays. And so to have that cohesion at Notre Dame, I think is really, really significant. Question from Keenan 1W O'Malley. After being ripped on the North Carolina board for being a homer, <laughs> especially about Ian Book's scrambling ability, which one of Book's 15 runs slash ad-libs was your personal favorite? Yeah, that's uh, there's a little annoying little fan base they have down there. Uh, back, I, was told, I, I don't know the backstory <laughs> of this. I, I actually have not read it. I don't know how bad it was because uh, it was Thanksgiving when I saw Keenan put a note on the board. He said, uh, Tim, one Mark not going to the North Carolina uh, board is one of your – or bookmark never going there again or something like that. Apparently they thought that I was a, a massive Notre Dame homer. And uh, I mentioned that Ian Book, outside of guys that are like Denard Robinson, who we all know is the best scrambler, you know, guys like that. I go, he is one of the best scramblers you're going to see. He beats people with his legs and it's going to drive North Carolina fans crazy when he beats you with his legs this week. So I apologize for telling you the truth ahead of time. I'll let you find out in retrospect, like most people do, but yeah, my favorite scramble, um, Probably the one where he dropped the or the snap was hit the ground. He ran around, found Kyrie Williams for a touchdown. I, I, I would was, agree with that. That was one, one of the better ones. Pretty, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, you're a real homer when you're when you're talking about a 32 and three team and the number two yeah. team in the country. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's 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 go back to something I like to say when we're not talking about Alabama or Ohio State and we're calling games. Who the hell is North Carolina? Who do they think they are? <laughs> I mean, like, what? What do you think's going to happen, man? You're going to get lined up and moved out of the way. I had a good start. After watching the broadcast, I really want to do a big feature on Ian Book's backyard and how football was played back there. Yes. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit must have mentioned it like nine times. Oh, that and that and Tony Grimes still being a high school senior. Those were those were in the running for like, yeah. Wow. Okay, we get it. We get yeah. it. Question from Terry Bennett. It wasn't long ago the Notre Dame was working with giant blue donuts and robotic tackling dummies. Where did that physicality come from and who deserves the credit? Part two, does Notre Dame have both the Broyles Award winner and the Coach of the Year on its staff? Part two I mean, is I, maybe, I, would, I mean, 11 and 0 they might, right? Or yeah, I mean, part, yeah, part two is very, very realistic. Yeah. I mean, didn't they had this in 2012, right? Was Brian, was Brian Kelly not national coach he, of the year in 2012? He was, he was yeah. Okay. Most, and they had the Royals award winner in Brian Harden. In Brian so. Harden, yes. I, I mean, who's to say they're not using robotic dummies still in practice? We haven't seen a practice in like eight months. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that for a fact. That was a Van Gorder thing though, right? Well, in, in fairness, those robotic actually, dummies are cool. The, the pass rushing dummies—is that what he's talking? Yeah. Those are awesome. Well, and the donuts that they roll—you know—I think that yeah. they, they probably still do the donuts because that's a way to just sort of take mileage off of your yeah. shoulder and your scout team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, you know, the physicality—I—it's awesome. I mean, the I, physicality defines know, the I, team. I think I think it I, it's I think it started with Mike Elko, and it can it certainly continued with with Clark Lee, and I think the the level of intensity and, and ferocity and physicality that they play with is the respect that they have for Clark Lee and that's how they play. 
either. But the pass rush dummies are cool. Just let him know, Terry. But yeah. I, I mean, at one point, they led the 2016 team in sacks with zero yeah. to zero through five games. And then the physicality as it applies to the offensive line. I mean, that's a really veteran crew. And that's a confident, old, strong, mature group of offensive linemen that are going to kick your ass. And in fairness, that's the best point. This is the most This is the most physical team. I mean, from player to player down, like from player one through player 60 that they're using out there. It is, it's really impressive how they play. Remember the story that I wrote in August, like right before the season started about this is what we're hearing. Tom Loy and I both did. This is what we're yeah. hearing from. And the comment that I, the, the quote that I used was, this is the most athletically gifted Nordane football team that I've ever seen. Um, and that came from somebody that's been around a lot of, a lot of, uh, Football. has been uh, around a lot of college football teams and it's come to fruition. It's, it's come to fruition. They are, they are as good as they look to be. Yeah. And they can scramble their quarterbacks. Good at it. In case you're listening again for the first time. So there's no, uh... <laughs> I'm I gotta sure go, that, fi- I gotta go find there, that thread. Actually, Yeah. That's there are no <laughs> North Carolina fans tuning into our podcast. Because <laughs> of you, you Homer. I know. Sorry about that. There was, I think they're gonna be able to run the ball too. Denver Maximus, it is time to keep, is it time to keep Clarence Lewis as the starter at cornerback? Bracey still seems shell-shocked, even though there was nothing he could do on the incredible TD catch. I, you know, I, I think absolutely you keep him in the starting lineup. He's such a natural. But the point I tried to make for those that read Tale of Tape yesterday, you can't give up on Bracey. I mean, Bracey led the, the – Bracey had more passes broken up last year than Troy Pride. Bracey had more more stuffs from the cornerback position than Troy Pride. He. I I still truly believe that there's good football to be played by Tariq Bracey. They don't have alternatives behind the, the, the front three, so he has to keep playing. But should Clarence Lewis being the start be in the starting lineup? Yes, absolutely, in my opinion. Yeah, I yeah, agree with all that. I mean, we've you know you you can believe Bracey has it in him because we've seen him do it on a Saturday. Like he was excellent at Georgia last year. Um yeah, I, he's got. He's just in a funk right now. Right, so, and it's and um, it's when you're a corner, it's easy yeah, it's, to get in a it's, funk. It's, it's really kicker, right? Funk. Somebody tweeted at me like, "Well, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. Every time we expect Bracey to step forward, he hasn't done it." Well, that's just not true. Right. <laughs> yeah, and he's their third. He's got to be the third guy because you don't want. You're not clearly. He's better than Cam Hart or whoever else you'd put in. Otherwise, we would have seen more of Cam Hart and whoever else you'd put in. And He's just got to make a couple plays, but I am all for Lewis being the starter at that point. I think that's fair. Matt Ekman, 15. How much should we read into Houston Griffith and DJ Brown's success against North Carolina? Was the pass rush basically 90% responsible for their success, or are they fundamentally sound? Am I being too optimistic next year without without Crawford? Yeah, we kind of touched upon this in segment one. I think it was initiated at the at the the front uh, near the near the snap of the football. I thought. I mean, I like DJ Brown's physicality. I thought he was flying around. That was good to see. Um, I, you know, I just personally, I just need to see it more often to be a, a, a believer that moving forward, Houston Griffith is going to be, you know, a, a starter next year. But being too optimistic without Crawford, um, yeah, I would say you're being a little too optimistic. Although I thought Brown took a big step forward against North Carolina. I I would like to see more, and then I I also sort of view it as like I'm confused why North Carolina didn't at least take a couple deep shots on those guys. They really didn't. I realize the defensive line made that hard to do, but Sam Howell was protected well at least on two or three plays. Yeah, um, maybe there maybe there were some play. Yeah, maybe there were some plays where the the protection broke down that were designed to go deep. I thought the same thing you did too, but maybe a couple of those plays just never had a chance yeah. to, to come to fruition. Irish boy one. Do you think Clemson will play Florida state on December 12th? If not, should Notre Dame have to play wake forest and not be able to have two weeks off before the conference championship game? I mean, it's a fascinating question. I, I don't think Clemson is going to play Florida state on December 12th. As of right now, Virginia also has refused to go back to Tallahassee after having their game canceled, or at least that's what Bronken Mendenhall insinuated today. So I had a feeling that Clemson's probably not going to be playing on December 12th um, unless they host Florida state. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's all going to work, but I, 
I mean, is, is Notre Dame in a position to be like, we refuse to play Wake Forest? I don't know. I, no, I don't. I, I don't but, so. but does the ACC step in and, and, and say that? I don't know. The, I mean, these are things, these are things we never had to consider before. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a good question. It is. By the, probably, I mean, our Thursday podcast, the world may look completely different in the ACC. Um, you know, it's like things change every day, but we're coming up on this being a real thing. I would like to see them play because uh, I want to see him score 85 in, out of anger against Florida State in that game. That'd be kind of fun. Um, I don't think they're going to play either unless they would host. And then we would Florida State travel. Why would Florida State travel up there to play, though, too? I mean, just to prove a point, like I, I told you we wanted to play. I mean, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, Wake Forest, the COVID situation may make all this. Well, that's the thing that I, yeah. I think is as just as likely as those two not playing is Wake Forest COVID situation. Um, Notre Dame is not going to have any say in it, though, right? I mean, your schedule is there. You're able to play it. You look. You can't say we're not going to play. Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But, wait, you know, we'll know more. How about, more about you just Forest go play, go 11-0, and and play a good game against Clemson? If you lose, you're still in the playoffs anyway, right? Right. Ohio right. State at 5-0 and is not getting in over 11-1 Notre Dame with the win over no, Clemson. That stuff's no. not happening. It's... No. Blue Chip Man, in anticipation of the Clemson re- rematch, what do you think is the most pressing facet Notre Dame needs to improve on offense and defense? What do you think Clemson will do differently with Trevor Lawrence back in the lineup against Notre Dame? And I think it gets to that question we were just talking about it, seeing more from DJ Brown and Houston Griffith. Um, Cause I, I know Trevor Lawrence is going to be figure out if where those guys are in a game, if it comes to that. And it, I've been sort of waiting for a team to stretch Notre Dame vertically in the secondary. It hasn't really happened yet. Um, from both a personnel standpoint where you're getting Notre Dame in a nickel, which means DJ Brown comes into the game um, or Houston Griffith comes into the game. That hasn't really happened yet. I would think Clemson would figure out a way to almost force that to happen. I agree. I think uh, what I see with Trevor Lawrence versus the record setting day by DJ is more on third and seven, Trevor Lawrence throws a dart for eight. And then they have the confidence to drop back on first and 10 and take a shot with Powell against Lewis or Powell yeah. against Bracey. That that's kind of where you worry about. I mean, look, look, DJ Uniungale allowed them to almost win the game. He had an amazing effort, but in a different way, Trevor Lawrence is going to be harder to stop. doesn't matter if he throws for 439 yards, it's going to be, he's zipping passes in on third down and then he's, they can call more stuff. It's, they need, they need that many points again. I think. That's that's the tough part for me. Um, offensively, I mean, the goal line off the goal line, goal line and red zone, they, they'll have to convert against Clemson. They, would, yeah, they, wouldn't, gotta, get it, they won't get away with that again. I think Trevor Lawrence is is throwing the ball downfield from the opening kickoff, man. You know, and then because they've got to do something to loosen up things for ETN, and the the more they can do in the passing game with Trevor Lawrence right from the beginning of the game, uh, the more possible that is. Doc Irish, would this team be undefeated if COVID didn't happen and they played their original schedule? Would they still be number two? Uh, well, I mean, that means Trevor Lawrence would have played on November 7th, so that would have been tricky. But they wouldn't They wouldn't have lost more than one game. Yeah, they would. I mean, Clark Lee's defense would suffocate what Wisconsin puts out there. Um, yeah, let's look at, let's look at <laughs> the, the previous schedule. <laughs> The previous schedule included Navy, Arkansas, Western Michigan, Wisconsin, Stanford, and USC. And those six games were replaced by the five games against um, South Florida, uh, Florida State, Boston College, North Carolina, and Syracuse. And Carolina and USC are a nice solid exchange. Yeah, yeah, no, no COVID, switch. which means Lawrence plays. I, I probably would say Notre Dame finishes 11-1 <laughs> and one and is in the playoff. Yeah, number four. Right. Yeah. Clemson still would have had their defensive issues, though. Yeah. It would have been a. I mean, the game went to double overtime. It was pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I think COVID has strengthened Notre Dame on Definitely. the field. There's no doubt about that. But again, I go back to the comment of the story in August about, you know, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? Well, we're hearing that this is a really, really talented Notre Dame football team. So, other than maybe that one game against Clemson, I still think the Notre Dame would have competed stride for stride with them, even with Lawrence on the field. And finally, wrapping up from pin and pole one, what young guys do you expect to see get more time this week, considering it's Syracuse? Time for Jordan Johnson to shine. 
<laughs> I just want to remind Notre Dame played 21 guys on defense and 17 on offense last week. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like there's a whole bunch of young guys that, that aren't playing, but that is down though. Those numbers are down from September. Like they'll 17, I think I bet you is the low. Um, I don't know about this Lindsay thing on in the cold with the hamstring situation. Like I know, I, I mean, that's not, I guess not how you coach a football game. You're trying to get Braden Lindsay back for the stretch run or for the final two games in the nice weather. Man, that's a tough, he has, I guess he has a, a, uh, better conditioning coach than yeah. we would have trying to run out there, but that's not ideal conditions, huh? If he's healthy, yeah, he plays. you got, you got, you got to go out there. I, I, Cam Hart will play more. Uh, KJ Wallace will play more. Yeah. Bertrand. I give Bertrand. Bertrand plays more, more. Aaronsberger probably gets some playing time. Takis gets a chance to build upon his diving attempt at the goal oh. line. Poor kid. Did you see his teammates were? Yes. You could see his face. <laughs> I mean, he really teammates, needed it. Yeah. Like his teammates were giving him all kind of hell. They score a touchdown like one out of every eight times he's in the game. He needed to get one for himself. (laughs) And then Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts should get on the field, whether they're ever actually targeted in a game that's probably going to be one-sided. 32-point spread, is that what it is? Lawrence Keyes should probably be worked in if they actually intend on using him more than on a jet sweep where he shouldn't fall down because he gets touched. Yeah, you know, Lawrence Keyes, look, if you want to play, you've got to get stronger. You can't get tripped up by a fingertip. And yeah, just, if, if he's in the if he's in the equation, he might not be because of Lindsay, but I would like to see him get some shots because or it's or you move on to Lindsay yeah. and, and not playing him at all. Okay, this segment has run on long. I'm sure Jack Freeman will remind me of that. We will wrap up with that. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Please join us again on Thursday uh, when we talk about a lot more about Notre Dame versus Syracuse. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.